seven. A seven. John, the topic we will be discussing today that your die roll has just determined is how do you use fear at the gaming table? Ooh, all right. I'm excited. Yeah, this should be an interesting one. I don't remember when we added this, but uh, it should be a good discussion. Yeah. So. Okay, I'm ready. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a podcast in which we discuss topics related to running tabletop role-playing games. My name is Andy Rao. And I'm John Corey. And we are back this week with uh, John continuing to uh, temporarily take the place of Chris as co-host of the show. Very temporary. Chris has taken some time off to be a new father, and I'm happy to report that young baby Chris was born healthily and seems to be doing well, and uh, father and mother are doing great. I saw them today, actually, in, oh, in person from like, well, 10 feet apart. But yeah, I dropped them uh, dinner today and um, chatted with Chris for 15 minutes. What was your take on uh, how they're doing? Did they look, you know, haggard and uh, worn down from parenting a new infant, or did they seem to be doing okay? Uh, they seem to be doing okay. Um, I talked mostly with Chris and uh, his daughter. Excellent. She seemed in good spirits, so that's a good sign. Good. Yeah, Chris and I just chatted about how everybody was doing, and then I talked to his wife for like 30 seconds, and yeah. I did see the boy. He's very okay. cute and very little, and uh, but they seem to be doing good, so okay. yeah. Was he? Uh, was the baby dressed in any sort of like cheesy gamer onesie? Uh, Disappointingly, yeah. no. Okay. And I think we should take that up with Chris when he returns. I think so. We we might have to do a podcast fundraiser to buy some schlocky right? gaming uh, garb for Chris's baby. <laughs> well, uh, so yes, listeners, rest assured, Chris is doing well. And uh, John, thank you again for uh, being willing to uh, to cover for Chris. Um, I well, thanks it. for having me. I'm excited. You bet. So, John, uh, before we jump into our topic, I wanted to toss a question in your direction. Yes. It is about uh, friendly local gaming stores. Over the last couple of days, I've discovered that the local gaming stores in my hometown are starting to slowly reopen. Uh, I am Thank lucky God. enough. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to have a couple of them uh, within close range of me, and mm-hmm. um, they're reopening, and they seem to be doing it pretty safely, I guess. There's. Uh, you know, hand sanitizer at the door. You have to wear masks. There's a limit on the amount of time you're supposed to be in there and the number of customers. So I visited uh, two of them this week, and I couldn't believe how good it felt to just roam the aisles again. So yeah. I'm I'm curious, what is your local game store situation like, and have you been missing them? Are they does that normally pay, play a big role in sort of your gaming hobby, or not so much? It comes and goes. Like um, the main one in Ann Arbor, there's two that I like. There's Fun for All, and then there's uh, Vault of Midnight. I no longer buy comic books. I stopped doing that maybe a year ago. So I go to Vault of Midnight, which is primarily a comic book store, way less than I used to. But I do enjoy going there. They do have an entire, it's not a huge shelf, but a big sort of section dedicated to role-playing games. Um, Like a lot of gaming stores... And a lot of companies, right? They're more dedicated to board games when it comes to gaming. Sure. But they do, and they do make an effort to ha- to have some of the indie stuff there. I remember they I bought a copy of Night Witches there a while ago. And so they do keep in print rare sort of more indie games that I'm into. I bought my copy of Dungeon World there. So I do like going there and browsing and seeing what they've got every once in a while. I don't do it that often, but I do. There's something about the physical tangibility of being able to look at a book before you buy it. Yeah. That I really enjoy. I, I re- If I buy something online, it's usually the PDF, and then I usually end up 
filing it away and not reading it. But if I if I want a physical book, I always try to go. I always try to go to uh, uh, one of my stores. The other one, Fun for All, is good. They do a better job of stocking sort of large amounts of the bigger titles and maybe less of the indie stuff. I can tell you about the most frustrating game store in the world. It's not in Ann Arbor. <laughs> it's it's up north, and uh, and I won't say the city, but I go in there, and they have a copy of the Rules Cyclopedia, and it's really beat up. Wow. Okay. And, and and I think I've been in there like four times now over the years, and I and it's still there, and they don't price it. They oh. pull it out, and then which I think is illegal. But anyway, she looks <laughs> on the internet and says, "Oh, this is worth this much on eBay," and I'm like, "I'll give you ten bucks for it because." You've had this here, for, but she never does. Oh, man. And so <laughs> I would really like to have a physical copy of that book, but I'm unwilling to pay the uh, extreme amounts of money that it would take me. So yeah, I do miss the used gaming store because I did buy yeah. a, a copy of Champions at a used gaming store not that long ago, and it's the original version, and it's just fantastic. I feel like the gaming stores that are still around that have survived, for the most part, have kind of upped their game. Uh, yes. Because... But there are, again, I won't mention any names, but there is a store I used to frequent a lot that I would go in there, you know, in the last couple of years, and they would have books that I remember being in there when I was in college visiting the same store in the mid-90s. Yeah. No effort to, you know, discount that or, or just clear the space out. You know, I don't want this to be a gripe uh, fest about no. gaming stores because I actually, I feel that if game stores are still in business, it means they've kind of gotten their act together about yes. you know inventory and using it wisely so well, yeah one thing that not to turn this into an ad for vault of midnight but one thing they do is they do on free rpg day they have a they they call it the uh, i forget what they call it the something lounge but anyway the basement of the store mm-hmm. they set up some gaming tables and invite people into play for a for a small fee and i've run games there oh, nice. two years running so i you know maybe maybe this year free rpg day will they'll be allowed to have gatherings like this though I would be surprised. Um, but, you know, if they had that, I would do that again in a heartbeat because I yeah. love the opportunity to, to run games in that setting. So uh, one last question about friendly gaming stores. Thinking across your whole life and your the whole amount of time you've been in the hobby, what is your what is the best gaming store you've ever been in? It is so easy to answer this question. It is Riders Hobby on Liberty in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. And, and why is it, what makes it so great? Well, what made it so great is... It was the first, because of nostalgia, basically. Yeah. But it was a classic hobby shop, and it was the first place I could I encountered role-playing games, right? That is the only place you could buy them, because they weren't at the bookstore. They weren't at any place like that. So all the original D&D books and the D&D modules, and my, my first game that wasn't D&D, a game called Dragon Quest, was recommended to me by uh, Dean, the RPG guy who worked at Writer's Hobby. And, you know, you could go in there and chat about RPGs and... It was super nerdy back then, and so to have an opportunity to have a place where there were people there who wanted to talk about it and would wax philosophical about them was amazing. So I that's that will always be my favorite place to go because I got all my favorite games there when I was really young. And it was writers writers with a Y, just for okay. I don't know why. We have a writers uh, over in my town as well. Ah. I think that they used to be sort of a Michigan small chain, but I think they're down to just one or two locations now. But I think you're right. Yeah, that's a, that's a, probably my main friendly local gaming store as well. And uh, yeah, they're mostly trains and airplanes, but there is a gaming shelf. And I know the guy, the game, you know, they're one game guy. Yeah. Uh, I will share, and I, it's probably time for us to jump into our topic, but uh, the best 
game store I've ever had the joy of living near was Games Plus in Chicago. When I was in Chicago oh, wow. for a couple of years at grad school in the 90s, Games Plus was just an incredible place to go to go and just spend hours in because at that time in the 90s, you couldn't easily just order anything you wanted online. Right. And so a game store that was willing to go out and get all those weird indie games that were hard to get, that was like a really valuable service. And it was nice. also a great way to discover new stuff because we, the internet wasn't quite to the point where it is now where we all know like two years in advance the publishing schedule of every company. Right, <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, and they're still there. I haven't been there in a long time. I When I go through Chicago, if the stars align, I do try to stop in. Yeah, that was a great place, so. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, thanks everyone for listening to us reminisce about friendly local gaming stores. <laughs> I hope you have a great gaming store, and I hope that it is being safe and smart, but also you know about reopening um, in this uh, era of the pandemic. But yes. uh, John, why don't we make a uh, complete topic switch from a happy, joyous topic to a much more <laughs> scary one? And talk about using fear at the game table, and so. Right. Let's let me start out by just uh, lobbing a general question at you. When have you employed fear at the table? Just tell us about when you've done it and how it went. Um, I do it almost constantly. I think it's important to, not all the time. I shouldn't say constantly. I do it in every game that I play, whether it's a horror game or not. And I actually tend to make even fantasy games a little more scary and horror-like. I know we're not specifically talking about horror games, but I think it's a great motivator in a in a role-playing game to create fear but it can be really hard uh to do that but i like to do it because i think it's important that there be consequences to drive the players to do something else and often it's fear you know if you don't do this this bad thing is going to occur and create fear that way and i often will up the stakes of that by creating an actual fearful thing right create the monster or the setting or the whatever is going to happen be actually scary in a more traditional sense so Mm -hmm. uh, how about you yeah, well, when this topic came up, my mind went immediately to horror role-playing games. And the predominant right. horror game I've run is Call of Cthulhu. Of course. But you're right. I don't think we should confine this talk to horror games because fear can be a, is a powerful motivator in basically any kind of story. But yes. yes, the main place where I've employed it or seen it employed has been in horror games like Call of Cthulhu. One of the questions I want us to talk about is to what extent, uh, as a GM, you target your fear towards the player's Mm-hmm. Uh, who are sitting at the table with you versus at the characters that they're playing. But yeah, fear is a big part of a horror game like Call of Cthulhu. It's mechanic. In, that, in the case of Call of Cthulhu, it's mechanically enforced. You know, there's mechanisms for, you know, determining uh, how uh, afraid or insane your character is becoming. Right. So it's a part of basically every Call of Cthulhu game I've run. And to answer my own question, I've rarely seen, uh, you know, efforts to spook players at the table. Right. But you there do, but every now and then you do get these sort of serendipitous moments where you realize that you have, without maybe trying, created a really tense uh, experience. The sort of fear that you might have watching a good horror movie. Yeah. I think fear is a really, on one hand, easy because it can, well, there's a lot of different vectors here. I'm going to start with non horror games because I have two thoughts right off the bat about non horror games. And then I had some interesting horror experiences. I ran a Halloween game this year okay. uh, that I'd like to get into. So, real quick. Fear, I think of actually instilling fear in the players. I've had a couple times where that's worked. I'm really more trying to instill fear in the characters. 
Yeah. Though occasionally I'll have a player go, oh, or ew, or, you know, sort of be slightly taken aback. <laughs> and I'll take that as a, I'll take that as a, as a message that I'm doing all right. Yeah. Um, that I've created a circumstance that is, that is fearful. And I think that makes for a good game because it makes for tension that drives the action forward. Mm-hmm. With a lot of players, and it really depends on the player, there are some players who really don't want, you know, their, their characters are very much like a new car to them. And they don't want to get a scratch on it. And so fear can, can actually induce conservatism in play. Mm-hmm. And so if, you're not, if you don't know who you're playing with and you don't know what they're after in the game, you could create a fearful circumstance and they're like, well, I'm not doing that. You know, mm-hmm. um, let's go shopping or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, so those are my first two thoughts about fear is that, is that I think it's a great motivator, but it can also create situations where players are unwilling to take risks depending on the circumstance. You know, even without fear exactly being the emotion you're trying to evoke, there is an interesting challenge when running RPGs in that the sort of stuff you want the players to be doing is the sort of stuff that a regular person would never, ever do. Right. Nobody would go into the dungeon. You know, right. Who's going into the dungeon? Yeah. Right. Nobody. <laughs> Tell me about a specific time that you had a really good experience inspiring fear, either in the players or the characters or maybe a little bit of both. Well, how about I, I'll actually go to my Halloween game because this was a, a good experience for me. And yep. we played a game this Halloween called Ten Candles. Have you heard of it? I have, yes. For those who don't know what it is, what you do is it's is a it's a narrative RPG game. And the plot of it is that the world has ended and the power is gone. And the plot of the game is you just, the characters are trying to escape or do whatever they want to do until, you know, it always ends badly. And it says this in the beginning of the game, like... Oh. It's not if you're going to get killed, but how you're going to get killed is sort of the, the plot of it. It's, okay. a bit, it's a bit gruesome, but it, it, there's two mechanics in it that are great. And, and the thing I love about it is you allow players to create that fear for themselves a little bit. So one of the first things you do is you take a voice recorder and you pass it around and you say, okay, what are your last words that were recorded? And everybody oh, at wow. the beginning of the game records something. Then the phone goes away and you light 10 candles and you turn off all the lights. And in certain narrative moments, you blow out a candle, and when all the candles are gone, the game is over, and you replay the recordings oh, that wow. were played. So it was very cool, and it created a lot of fear, but I, the one moment I'll say there is, I said to somebody, you know, what are you going to do? And he goes, he just takes a big breath, like, I don't know, and one of the candles blows out. And he goes, <laughs> can we relight it? And I'm like, no, we don't. If the ca- it doesn't matter if the candle blew out because of the game rules or accidentally, it's out. Oh my and there was goodness. just this long pause, like everybody suddenly took the game much more seriously and and i thought that that was um that was really fun i enjoyed that moment because it was i wouldn't say it was genuine fear but it was a genuine realization like there's no going back here i had a similar experience recently with a call of cthulhu game where it obviously was much less atmospheric than that 10 candles which sounds phenomenal by the way that that sounds like the perfect halloween game but yeah, in the case I'm thinking of, it was a Call of Cthulhu game, and it was proceeding pretty normally, uh, you know, with that sort of, it's mostly serious, but there's a certain jokey slapstickness that creeps into most games. We've talked about it on this show in the past. But at some point, out of the blue, I had one of the PCs get, uh, you know, basically a monster jumped out and hor- horrifically killed one of the PCs. That it was a pivotal moment in the evening's yeah. game. because. yeah. Uh, it was sort of the moment where everyone realized, oh, hey, this is for real. He turned his character sheet over to me and I didn't have to keep 
having them get ambushed with monsters after that. You know, it's like in a good horror movie where uh, you're thrown off kilter when somebody you think was going to survive through the end of the movie gets abruptly killed by the monster a little ways in. Yeah. What are some things that you try to do or you try to avoid if you're hoping to evoke that feeling of fear? Yeah, um, I think the one big thing to avoid, and actually I learned this in sales training that I had 20 (laughs) years ago. I'm not not in sales anymore, but avoid filling uncomfortable silences. Because when you're trying to create urgency or fear, those are your friend, right? So if you are describing a gruesome scene, like in a recent game I had a scene where the characters teleported into the middle of this city and everyone was asleep. And there was no immediate cause. First of all, they didn't know if they were dead or asleep. That was the, and that was a question I got, right? Are they dead or asleep? And I just shrugged my shoulders. I don't know. (laughs) You know, I knew they were asleep, but I didn't go, oh, they're asleep. You have to go check it out. Players are always going to pull the release valve on the tension. They're going to let the air out a little bit because they don't want it to be scary, scary, right? Knowing when to just shut up and let the moment uh, speak for itself. And not rushing to fill in the tension because you're trying to create that tension. Your players are going to do that anyway. But that's my big thing is is learn when to be quiet for a little while. What do you think motivates players as far as fear? Is it enough <laughs> to threaten to kill their PC? Uh, you know, mm. is that what they're afraid of? I don't know that in this game in particular. So this the game I'm currently running. We talked about it last week. Is a is a is an apocalypse world conversion of. Phoenix Dawn Command, and we, we can get into those again if we want to, but long story short, the characters are immortal, and the way you level up is to die. So death is not something to be completely avoided, though that can be a motivator. So in this game, what they're, I try to do to create urgency or tension is uncertainty. Hmm. Why is the thing that's occurring, why are these people all asleep, and how do you stop it? In that particular case, there was a huge army marching on the city, and they knew that was happening. That's why they were there. But they didn't know everybody was asleep or would be asleep when they got there. So they had a mission which was, let's go fortify this city and and, and fight a huge battle to stop this army to, holy crap, all the soldiers are asleep on the walls. What are we going to do? So misdirection, uncertainty about what they need to be doing, those kind of things create a lot of fear. But also, I mean, I think character death, certainly in a game like Call of Cthulhu, can be a motivator and create a lot of fear if you threaten them because they're regular people in that game. Yeah. D&D is a weird hybrid because death is, I mean, it happens, right? But it's not with hit points as resource in that game, the way it goes, that fear is not, like you don't, you don't see death, you, unless you're really low level, you see death coming, right? Very rarely do high level, mid to high level characters die suddenly. They it can be very telegraphed, and that's a different experience. And I don't know if that creates fear or not. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, it's rarely a surprise in D and D and games right. like it when you die, right? Yes. And honestly, if you die in D and D, you know you probably are in this situation because you chose to take the risk, right? Because there's a lot right. of indicators in D and D that you're going to die before you actually hit the ground. Well, well, let me put it this way: when my son dies in Minecraft, he's way more worried that somebody gets his stuff right? like <laughs> he's playing with his friends uh he knows he can come back he really wants to know that somebody got his stuff right oh, and then, so i don't know that creating fear of death necessarily is always the best case it depends on the game I guess you know it must be sort of a kid thing because my daughter 
running D&D games online for her middle school friends reports that, uh, yeah, anytime a, somebody goes a, goes to sleep or falls unconscious or gets killed, it's just the rest of the party descends on their equipment <laughs> like, uh, like jackals. So there's yeah, motivation. I think that's a middle school thing, yeah. I think so, uh, yeah. Uh, so a lot of games out there, especially horror games, although there's variants of these mechanics and even games like D&D, have some right. sort of like a fear mechanic where you're rolling some dice or you're managing some resources to measure how freaked out your character is. Do you tend to like that sort of mechanical mechanic or do you, I, would you ask, do you, would you prefer players just role play it? I, I, I like it because it, somebody said this about, we were on the discord earlier today and somebody said this, what well, they like skills in D and D because they were signposts to the way your character, what your character should be trying to do, which I mm. thought was a great statement and I'll expand on that is that if you if you sort of have a level of sanity and it drops, that can be a signpost to how to role play. But if you got somebody who's really into role playing and they're and they really want to do that, I mean, you know, throw the mechanic out the window. But in general I like those mechanics in generally. In general I like those mechanics because they're they're signposts. They don't tell you what you have to do. They say, you know, it's getting worse. What does worse look like for you? And I think that's fun. Yeah, when I think when they're done well, they can add some nice tension if yes. you start to sense that you're on a downward spiral, I guess, yeah. or, that, or that your resources are slowly running out. You know, we just talked about D&D where you rarely are surprised. It's really a big surprise when you get killed. But yeah. there, you know, there can be a sort of special dread when you see your resources dwindling, whether that's mental stability or, you know, hit points in D&D or spells yes. that you still have memorized, you know. And just to, to realize that the stakes are going up. The farther down you go, the bigger the stakes are going to be for failure. Absolutely. And what I like about a, a fear mechanic, let's talk about Call of Cthulhu again. What I like about that insanity mechanic is it's transparent, right? So everybody at the table knows, oh no, Andy's right on the edge here. Andy's characters, <laughs> yeah. you know, what's going to happen? I think it was in a Delta Green game I was playing where when you lost it, and maybe this happens in Call of Cthulhu too, it's been a long time since I play it, but... You roll on a table and, like, you could just randomly start shooting your gun at something, right? Like, you don't have control of what your character is going to do. So there's a lot of tension about what's going to happen if you fail that last sanity check. And I find that can work really great. Yeah. The nice thing about sanity, too, is there's no easy way to recover it. Like, with hit points, yes. it depends on your magic level in the game, right? You can be healed by a cleric or have a healing potion or something with, with, a, with a fear or sanity mechanic, like... Tough luck, man. You, <laughs> yep. you know, if it if it goes south, south is pretty much the only way you're going. So this is uh, kind of tangentially related, but when you when you play D and D or D and D ish games, mm -hmm. do you use like what I guess what you call the morale rules, either for the for the Never. PCs or for like monsters? Like, how do you gauge when a creature you know is going to bow out of the situation or or freak out or try to get away? That is such a great question. I have never used a morale mechanic in my life. Um, <laughs> I think what I like to take in mind is the motivation of the creature. A, a hired creature is less motivated than than a zealous cultist, right? Yeah. So how they respond, whether how how they feel fear, whether or not they're willing to retreat, I think should be based on what their instinct is. Yeah. Uh, I, have you used morale mechanics? I, I've been playing AD and D since it was AD and D in the early eighties, and I've never rolled morale in my life you know i have never really followed them or the morale is sort of one of those rules like 
like encumbrance, encumbrance. or something like that. <laughs> that, I, that it's in every rule book, but you know, I question how many people use it. I have yeah. so there are situations. I don't know if I would exactly call this using the morale rules, but there are situations where I feel like it's borderline. Like I'm not really sure if if whatever if the kobolds have experienced enough stress that they would actually turn and run. So I will occasionally right. make just sort of an improvised morale roll of some sort, you know, where I set the difficulty based on how dire their situation is. Right. And uh, that's much less consistent than you would get if you were following the morale rules in every battle. But I've never heard of anyone really using the morale rules consistently like that. It feels like a carryover from wargaming to me. It totally. Right? Like it, you're it, determining... Totally. If, the, if your hirelings have morale to continue to fight. Yep. I think the player should be able to choose that for himself. I think it's exciting for a player to choose, I'm scared and I'm going to run. That's much more interesting than rolling a die and saying, you're scared, you have to run. You know what I mean? Because it's, it, it's counter to what the player wants to do and kind of unfun. Absolutely. Yeah. This this reminds me, this is the part of the show where I reminisce deep into my past. <laughs> like I always do. I love this yeah, part. Some of the first times that I encountered some sort of a fear mechanic was playing uh, like role master in middle earth in which there are some spells and magical effects that like powerful creatures will have that will, you know, there's powerful creatures in those systems that just radiate fear. Yes. And you have to roll to resist the fear or you, or your character just simply turns and runs. And I remember that for my uh, group of, you know, young friends, we were all playing. It felt really wrong to be rolling and, to have the dice tell me that my character was too scared to go into the cave or to get closer to the monster because yeah. you know there's an instinct of like well i'm i'm just going to grit my teeth and do it i'm so there's i guess this is a kind of a different topic that touches on kind of uh to what extent losing control of your character every now and then is fun or appropriate but uh right i wanted to ask a different question that mm-hmm. isn't so much about the mechanical effects of fear in the game but i'm curious when you know that your game is going to have some scary moments, do you talk right. to your players before? And do you use any one of the kind of the systems either for determining in advance what is going to bother them or for, you know, permitting them in the middle of a scary situation to kind of raise a red flag about it? Yeah, I do. I have not in my current campaign because uh, I'm very familiar with all those players. Um, I did sort of say at the beginning of that one, there's going to be some scary gross stuff here. Uh, you know, and sort of preface the campaign, like yeah. so. If you're in, if you want to be here, you know that that's going to be part of it. Uh, prior than that, when it was a sort of group collaborative campaign building thing, I did go around and say, okay, everybody, call out something that you just don't aren't down with. And you know, mm-hmm. one person was really afraid of dogs. You know, it was just their thing. And so I'm like, okay, there's not going to be any hellhounds. And yep. so you know, everybody had sort of a thing. And then, <laughs> turns out she was also afraid of frogs i think it was and i had some frog monster and she's like oh by the way i'm also afraid of frogs um but uh yeah so i have gone around and said what is what is something that's just over the line somebody in that same game somebody said strangulation they think that that the idea of that is creepy and i always say torture i'm like i don't want to depictions of torture are not something i'm interested in 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 a game so i do i have gone around and said what what is over the line for you and then i do stay away from it because i think it would be bad some people i know find out what's over the line and then go after it and i don't think that's a a good idea so yeah that's a very risky and you know can be disrespectful if you're if you're doing that but yeah i I do something Mm -hmm. similar i uh i'm not running a horror game right now but um you know i will at least issue general notice about sort of the 
is this PG thirteen? You know, yeah. Uh, it helps that I. Uh, it helps that you know I don't mind you know kind of violence and gore, but uh, anything really that you would call disturbing. I mean, probably I'm probably more conservative in that respect than a lot of the people I play with. So, yeah, and I will often if I'm running a, a campaign with strangers, I will either a have an X card, which I've done at conventions, or I'll just say, "Hey, gang, this game is PG-13." Yep. Right. So, you know, and I'll joke, then you can say the F word once or whatever. But yeah, I'll... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I will sort of dictate. But when it's a, a longer running campaign, I will solicit feedback on what is appropriate or not. All right. Well, um, we should probably wrap up before too terribly long. Is there anything else on the topic of fear that you wanted to share or that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I think it's important that there's a difference between, and I think this is a distinction I'm making, creating urgency and creating fear. And I think all good action-oriented stories, not all good stories, but all the action-oriented stories that you would engage in in an RPG, and actually I shouldn't say all RPGs, I know that there's a, a, a Jane Austen RPG, which probably doesn't rely heavily on a sense <laughs> of urgency or fear, right. or a different kind of urgency, is that is that I think you can't play one of these adventure-based games without creating urgency. But there is a difference between that and fear. I think we've talked a little bit about both today, but I think learning how to create urgency that keeps your players motivated and interested in the game is critical, and fear might be a tool to do that. There is that line to be trod. We talked about how it would be disrespectful to take yeah. what you know about what freaks out the players and then use it against them. To the extent that your players are down with it, it can be fun to personalize the uh, the situation a little bit, as long as yes, as long as you're not going to upset your players. Or I think that's a great like a circumstance where a character describes a fear that is not the player's fear, yeah. and then you say, "Hey, this thing is occurring that you're afraid of," and use it as a cue to them to act in a to role play, you know, to be fearful. And I think having characters have fears that are separate from the player fear uh, can be a great tool there too. Do you run horror uh, horror games very much? I mean, you mentioned your Halloween game. You obviously have some familiarity with Delta Green, Call of Cthulhu. I love horror movies and horror games. I'm often too afraid to watch modern horror movies, actually. Hmm. Um, and I do not run as many horror games as I would like. There's a you know I played Ten Candles. The other candidate there was Dread, um, which has the mechanic of the Jenga Tower. Have you heard of this mm. one? I and have. When, you know, what a lovely idea. Yeah, and every time you want to do something, you have to remove a Jenga piece. Um, so, I, you know, I love the idea of a horror game, but I don't run a regular one. And it almost feels more like a one-shot kind of thing. Though, if you could get a Monster of the game, Monster of the Week game to work and make it sort of like Supernatural, you know, yeah. the TV show, mm -hmm. that might be interesting. I wonder if I'd run out of ways to scare the players after a while, though. <laughs> Isn't that a challenge with any sort of a horror game yes. these days? You know, um, everyone at the table knows all about the Lovecraft mythology or the alien movies or whatever it is that you're throwing at them, right? So Yes. So, But I do long to create situations that have the characters in fear and maybe the players a little bit while respecting their boundaries. And that's a tough balance, but I do try to do it. Even in a non-horror game, I do create horrific moments. Are there any types of fear or horror situations that you don't know how you would be able to reproduce in a tabletop game? Ooh, that's a great, that's a great one. Um, one hard one is that sort of isolation one, you know, the buried alive kind of thing. Yeah. I think that would be hard to recreate uh, in an RPG. Yeah. Um, There's yeah. Um, one that I would flag that I 
I would love to be able to emulate this in a game, but um, it's kind of it's a little bit specific to the zombie genre. I'm I like zombie movies and the zombie yeah. genre in general. And there's this moment in all every zombie movie where you transition abruptly from feeling secure to everything starts to fall apart and you have this cascading collapse uh, of you know your security it all you know there's always that peaceful moment in the middle act of the movie where they find the safe haven and everything looks like it's going to be great and uh and then some one little thing happens and then it progressively gets worse and worse and it watching those films uh it creates this you sort of watch in in passive horror as everything that the characters have worked for unravels around them. Yes. And that is, that is something I would love to be able to capture in a game, but it just feels like it would take so much setup and yeah. uh, set up to make it work. I can't think how I would do it. You should read 10 candles. Cause it's kind of, it's kind of like that. They sort of lose themselves piece by piece and things unravel piece by piece. So I, I recommend at least reading through that. So yeah. of, you've mentioned a couple of games already that sound amazing. Is there a game out there you can think of that handles fear in an interesting way, either thematically or through its mm-hmm. mechanics? Well, I'll, I'll mention uh, uh, Dread again. The, the fear, because that is a game that induces fear in the players. Yeah. Um, and so that mechanic of having to pull Jenga pieces out and then when they fall, your character dies is one of my favorite mechanics for for a horror game or a fear inducing game that I've seen. I've always been a fan. I don't know if it's exactly a horror game, but the uh, role-playing game unknown armies. Are you familiar with that one? I've heard of it, but I've never played it. I'm very curious about it. So I don't, I know there, there's a new edition that I don't know anything about, but I played the second edition of it, you know, back when it was in print and it invests a lot of mechanical energy in defining the different elements of your mental stability so instead Mm -hmm. of one fear track or a sanity meter it's got uh you have several different meters really that all add up to sort of your ability to keep it together and to to um, interesting you know remain uh remain human and true to yourself in special situations and watching those dials all tick down and, uh-huh. and realizing that you know you're watching this the, just the disintegration of your the slow disintegration of your character without a, any easy way back is a neat feel i haven't yeah i've experienced that playing unknown armies and i've experienced that sort of thrill of fear for my character um, right i i haven't run unknown armies in a very long time but i'm i'm fond of that one i hope that the I'm new edition i'm super curious about that, that. Yeah, now I know awesome. you mentioned Delta Green. I've played only in I played in a convention game of Delta Green, the mm-hmm. new Delta Green. But um, help me understand that game specifically makes you track some of your like dependencies and sources of stability and your loved ones. Is that right? I assume uh, that's for the game. The, uh, the of... version I played was based on Call of Cthulhu, so it okay. was really just Call of Cthulhu, but with the Delta Green okay uh, uh, serial numbers on it. So, so there was. I lost my sanity in the same way you would lose it in Call of Cthulhu. Got it. Um, yeah. So. I think I think that the new edition and listeners can correct me if I'm wrong goes a little bit further into having you define when you're creating your character the things that allow them to to be brave in the face of horror. And I assume that the reason those are defined is because the game master has 
tools for threatening those um, or wrecking them for you. Right. Uh, which sounds like a nice, creepy... It sounds like it has a potential at least to be a nice, scary experience. You know, I'll give a shout-out to one other game since Chris isn't here. Blaze in the Dark doesn't necessarily oh. have a fear mechanic, but it has a stress mechanic. And uh, when you have too much stress, you kind of fall apart. And it has a similar kind of thing in that you have ways that you can relieve your stress. Okay. And none yeah. of them are healthy, right? They're like yeah. drinking or gambling or, you know, something like that. So I kind of like that mechanic, too. I've only played in a short campaign of Blades, so my stress never got so bad that uh, that I had to worry about any of that stuff. But I did like the idea that I was, you know, if you want to spend a stress, you can do this thing. You know, that sort of sanity or mental health as currency, right? Yeah. Spend a stress and you can do this. You can succeed at this thing. Yeah. But you don't want to spend too much of your stress, right? Yeah. Um, so I like that mechanic. Like, you have to make a choice. Spending your Spending this resource to accomplish your goal at the risk of your own mental health was kind of an interesting uh, uh, mechanic that I liked. Yep. All right. So last question for you. Uh, so Halloween is still, as of the time of this recording, it's many months away. But uh, yeah. So if Halloween turned up next week, what would you run? I would run uh, Dread because I've never run it and I really, really want to run it. And I almost ran it this last Halloween. And then somebody said, well, we could play Dread, but have you heard of Ten Candles? And I read the rules and I'm like, oh, I guess we're <laughs> playing Ten Candles. So so I still have never run that game and really want to see what it's like. How about you? Yeah, for me, I picked up the uh, the new Alien role-playing game. Uh, oh, from Modiphius? Yes. And yeah. um, it would take a, I would need to invest some time in wrapping my head around the experience I wanted to produce with that. But I will say... It looks, it's a pretty, it's a game that's pretty well engineered to reproduce in the experience of watching an alien movie. Um, well, it has, it has two modes, right? There's a campaign mode, yes. which doesn't make any sense to me. But then there's the cinematic mode, which sounds really interesting in terms of mechanics for creating fear. Because you're, you're basically, it's sort of like, you know, everybody's going to die kind of thing. Yes. And, and, and how it's going to happen is, is the game. And you have stress, uh, compounding as the session goes on uh yeah you know just promising bad stuff uh to come but you got to keep pressing through anyway um and i can't believe we made it all and we're at the end of the episode unfortunately shout out to mothership which i did run at a convention last yeah. year uh and had a lot of fun and actually uh that was more about an atmosphere thing for me that the players in that game managed to escape without serious injury which was very disappointing but <laughs> yes. but because uh, i think i scared them too much and they're like okay we're leaving yep. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. i i but, played a good game for for fear i liked for sure i played a, a really enjoyable game of mothership at gen con last year as well and it was a good creepy uh, good creepy experience as well okay yeah. but we've been um we've been kind of rambling on here for a while so why don't we wrap this up once again, I want to thank you, John, for uh, coming on the show to co-host. I think you'll be, Lord willing, in the creek, don't rise, uh, joining us a couple of times uh, more. Uh, and I'd like to thank our listeners, of course. If you have questions, comments, uh, reactions, complaints, if you want to correct something that we said that was incorrect about your favorite game, please do so on Twitter or wherever else, uh, wherever else you want. This has been an episode of Roll for Topic. I have been Andy Rao. And I've been John Corey. And as Chris always says to close our episodes, uh, remember, if your players are having fun, you are a great GM. All right.